Good morning. Great to be in the house of the Lord this morning. So uh, I've titled this message, Shed Some Light. <laughs> I think it's appropriate for our season, don't you? Uh, you could use a little light. So the job that I've been working on uh, recently, uh, I've been working in a back porch that had little light in it, none at all for a long time. And uh, Bill graciously came out and helped me install a light, so now we have a light in the middle of the ceiling. What a difference that light has made. Uh, I thought I had pulled every nail out of the wall, and I discovered there were several that I had missed, uh, all these little things, because it was so dark. And uh, I've got to confess, and Bill will be interested in this, that even though we had great light, it did not keep me from shooting a nail through the electrical line, so... <laughs> Uh, which I now have to repair. But uh, I've been thinking in this month of January, uh, where we've had, they say, little to no sunlight, um, uh, that we, we come to, our, to the Father of lights. That's in our text today. And what that means is that he's the Father of the sun and the moon and the stars. And from our perspective, the, the sun and the moon and the stars, they... Uh, they come out, and then they're gone. They come out, they're gone. Uh, I talked to Tom on the phone the other night, and he said the stars were out. So we had clear skies in the middle of the night, but in the daytime we had clouds. So he's the father of lights. And so we come to the father of lights today. And the amazing thing about the father of lights, according to this text, is that there's no variation in him. Light, from our perspective, varies all the time. Uh, today's a cloudy day. We hope it's going to be sunny. Maybe we'll see the moon. Maybe we'll see the stars. But with God, there is no variation or shadow due to change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to grab your attention. I'm going to try and really grab your attention. Don't you think it's amazing that we have a God that never changes? Aren't you glad that we have a God that never changes? That he is steady, he's true, he's faithful. We can go to him anytime because of how he is. So I'm thankful for that. And so today we come to you, Father. I'm just going to say it out loud. Shed some light. Uh, give us some sunshine this week. We'd love to see that. Uh, but more than that, I'm asking the Lord to shed the light of wisdom and understanding on this text this morning from his word. So I'm going to ask you to stand with me as we read from James chapter 1, and we'll be looking at verses 13 through 18. James 1, 13 through 18. Here's what it says. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. 
coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. Let's pray. Father, we do ask that you would shed light this morning uh, on our hearts and our minds and even our actions as we hear from your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You know, it's really tempting <laughs> to approach this passage as if James had completely changed the subject matter. And we really need to differentiate the subject matter. That's what we want to do this morning. So last week, we talked about trials. A good message. Uh, <laughs> Uh, we know from last week that trials come into the life of every Christian. Even this morning as I've talked to people uh, and I've uh, interacted with people, in each of your lives I'm aware of trials that have come into your life and that are possibly ongoing. So we know from last week that trials come into our life in every Christian and God has told us from last week that we're to count it all joy, which is difficult but yet it's the truth. We're to count it joy because God is working in us and he's working to produce this steadfastness, uh, this unchanging uh, like, like the Lord himself in order to make us like the Lord Jesus, holy and whole. That's God's goal. So when something, a trial comes, you persevere and you count it joy because God has taught us how to persevere through that. And we mature and grow, becoming more and more like Christ. Uh, he wants our faith to grow. Okay, so that's kind of a summary of, or very short, of last week. But this week we come to the word temptation. We heard in small group, and maybe you understand this, but the word trials and temptations is the same word in the Greek. And, and yet... Uh, why is that? So why does James use the same word? Well, I think it connects the passage together. You know, it's tempting when you read James, at least for me, I always think it's a little bit like the Proverbs. He seems to bounce from topic to topic, you know, and uh, has all this wisdom to give us. But really, these two passages are connected by this idea of trials and temptations. And um, both trials and temptations they both have the potential to strengthen our faith. Yet, understand, they're very, very different. Your faith can be uh, strengthened through a trial. It can also be strengthened if you have victory over a temptation. So there's a similarity. But here's the difference. Uh, a person has said that trials are to be endured and temptations are to be resisted for the Christian. And one other man said uh, uh, he called the trials holy, and yet he called the temptations unholy. Uh, so temptation, here's the literal meaning of temptation. It means to solicit to sin. A temptation is a soliciting to sin, to entice us to sin. It tests our faith, it tests our virtue, 
test our character. Temptation. I want to challenge you this morning as I'm going through this, just as I had to do, to think about temptation in your own life. And I'm going to hit on that hard this morning a little bit to, to challenge us to think about that. Because it's real. It's real. So not only do we need to differentiate the subject matter, we've got to distinguish the source. The source of temptation. Let's start with who it is not. Who is not the source, according to the text? Somebody tell me. Okay, thank you. All right, but that brings us, even asking this question, who is the source, it brings us to a serious question about the nature of God. And as you look at this passage, both these passages, I hope it makes you think about the nature of God. Is God really good? The psalm that Brother Bill read this morning said that God is good. And he gives us good gifts. And I saw people amening and writing that down this morning. So to think that God could be the source of temptation is, is a serious question. Uh, it's tempting to say, it's really tempting to say, and maybe you've even thought this, God's tempting me, or he's allowing me to be tempted, or however you want to put that. And that's a tempting thing to say. And I have to say, really? You know, could God do that? Uh, and these are deep questions. Sometimes you get into the source of evil and the beginning and where did this all come from and how does it work? But could God tempt us? Is not God good? He is. And, and, and it leads you to ask other questions. Well, if he's not good, has he withheld good things from me? Have you ever felt like God has withheld something from you that's good, that you want? Does God withhold good things from us? These are all amazing questions. Can I not trust God? I guess the question is, do we really trust God? We say we do. I have to ask myself sometimes, do my actions uh, really show that I trust the Lord? Or do I trust in myself and, and how I can resolve this situation? And do I go every which way except for to the Lord? <laughs> Where could I go but to the Lord? Did you like that song this morning? Uh, yeah, Bill's got his hand up. I saw you kind of smiling through it. Uh, you know, uh, who was it? Tom said that's uh, the Mississippi coming out in me. I asked us to sing this song this morning. We got one more coming at the end of the service. So that's the, it's not the Mississippi, though. It's the Alabama coming out of me. So <laughs> where could I go but to the Lord? So, <laughs> you know, this pattern of doubting God's good nature, you know where it began. It began in the Garden of Eden. It began with Adam and Eve, the doubting of God's good nature. And that's what it is when, when we think somehow that God has tempted us. We're, we're doubting that he is really good. We've doubted his, his good nature. Uh, listen, though, very carefully to what verse 13 says. I know I already read it, but I want to say it as strongly as I can because it's the word of God. Let no one say when he is tempted, 
I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. So that clears that up. It's God is not the source of evil. He's not. He's not the source of temptation, according to God's own word. And, and Romans 8.32, Saturday morning when I was thinking about this message, uh, I read from the scriptures from Romans 8. And listen to what uh, verse 32 in Romans 8 says. It was really helpful to me personally. Verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? That's a good God, isn't it? A God who would give his very own son. Moms and dads in here, have you ever thought about giving up your son to die for somebody else? That's hard, inconceivable, difficult. Maybe the closest thing is allowing a son or a daughter to go into the military. But the idea of saying, you know what, I'm willing to give my son to die for somebody else, that's God. And how would a God who would not even withhold his son from us not be a good God and give us all good things. So if it's not God, who is it? Who it is? <laughs> Where does temptation come from? Anyone, according to the text. The flesh comes from us. It comes from you, and it comes from me. That's a challenge. We're the source, according to the scriptures. Now, wait a minute. James is talking to the brethren. I used to be part of a brethren church, and the brethren means the cisterns, too. So brethrens and cisterns, sisters. Uh, all of us were the source of temptation. But if, if it's God's people... People that are in Christ, <laughs> brothers and sisters that are in Christ, you have faith in Christ and what he's done for you. You're saved. You're born again. And yet we're, we're the source of temptation? Wow, there's a problem. Isn't there a problem there? I think there's a problem. And we need to understand that. So to help us understand that, Turn back in James to James chapter 4. I'm just going to identify that we do indeed have a problem, this problem. James 4, verses 1 and 2. Listen to what James says here. He says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? Those are those desires that are within us. We're the source. You desire and do not have, so you murder. He's talking to Christians here. You cover and cannot obtain. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. James makes it very clear that the passions and desires come from within us. Romans 7 I think many of you are familiar with this text, the battle that 
Paul talks about in his own soul in Romans 7, verses 18 to 20. Listen to what Paul says. He says, I know that nothing good dwells in me, that that is in my flesh, for I have the desire to do what is right. Don't you have a desire to do what is right, brothers and sisters? Uh, you do. In our minds, we have a desire to do what is right. But here's what Paul goes on to say. I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Over and over and over again is what that means. Paul is struggling with the thing, the very thing that we're talking about, this source within us. He goes on, now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. <laughs> That's sin nature within us. There's a problem. So Christians, I want to say this very clearly. If you think that evil desires come only from the world or from Satan or outside of you, you're sadly mistaken, according to the scriptures. And you misunderstand the scriptures. And worse, you don't know your own heart. I think sometimes it's tempting for us as Christians to think, well, I'm saved and I don't have these kinds of issues. But according to the scriptures, we do. My grandma Fox, she was a foxy lady, by the way. <laughs> she came from England. And uh, she was almost as tall as I am, weighed about 80 pounds. Right before I went to Vietnam, I gave her a big hug, and I went to Vietnam. Le found out later in life that I had cracked three of her ribs when I hugged her. And she just stood there and grinned and smiled and kissed me and said goodbye. And then she went in the house and cried. And they took her to the doctor. So uh, great woman. This woman exuded light. You know, she, she had a glow about her. I remember at our wedding, you know, Kathy and I were not Christians, and the two heads of the family came together. My father, very staunch, solid, you know, right-wing kind of Christian, legalistic guy. And then my other father-in-law, an Irish Catholic, heavy-drinking, partying type of guy, and these two people came together, and it was like sparks were flying. But Grandma Fox, she just walked around that room and loved on everybody. She was the godliest woman that I'd ever known. But I remember one time, before I even knew the Lord, really, she said to me, you know, David, because she could call me David. You guys call me Dave, though. But um, she said, David, the older I get, I recognize how evil my heart is. The closer I get to the Lord, I recognize how evil my heart is. And I always wondered about that. But I understand it. I'm beginning to understand it. That <laughs> we have this issue within our hearts. And it will be with us until we go to see the Lord. <laughs> so not only is there a problem this morning, but there's a process that James wants us to see from the scriptures. 
So we've got to define the stages this morning. I want to read verses 14 and 15 again, just so you know where we are. It's good to hear God's word over and over. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. So here's the stages. We're lured, we're enticed, we're drawn away by our own desires. Okay, I want you to think for a minute about hunting, fishing, and trapping. How many people are hunters in here? Are there any hunters in here? Okay. Fishermen? Yeah, we got some fishermen. Anybody ever do any trapping? Really? Oh, man, possum? No doubt. <laughs> A girl from West Virginia, she did some trapping. So when you, when you think about that, uh, I, I've, I've thought about deer hunting. Uh, in the south, and I lived in Alabama for a while, uh, I remember that people used to put out salt licks and get the deer to come to that salt lick, and then they'd shoot them, which doesn't seem really very sporting to me. Uh, but they would lure them, they'd entice them, they'd trap them. Uh, my brother-in-law and my sister who live in Virginia, they have an orchard, and the deer would get into the orchard and go after the low-hanging apples. Well, that made for easy, easy killing, and they, according to the law, they could do that. In Illinois, if you're a farmer and you've got corn, and you can prove that the deer are doing too much damage to your corn, you could shoot them. So all of these things are bait. Their enticements, uh, their lures. And I want us to think for a moment. And I, I was going to give us some, a quiet spot here. I want you to think for a moment. What are the things that lure and entice you? You know what? Let, let's not fool ourselves. Because I think we want to say, well, you know, drugs and alcohol and sex, those are the things that lure people. And they do. That's very, very true. People struggle with these things. But you know another thing that lures us from other things? Pride. Selfishness. Grumbling and complaining. the appetites that we have for things that aren't good for us. I'm not just talking about physical appetites. The desires from within. <laughs> the sense in the scriptures here is the idea, it's similar to being seduced by, by a harlot. It's the exact sense of what it's talking about. We are lured and enticed and drawn away by our own desires that come from within us. Then it talks about conception. Here's the process. At some point in the enticement, at some point, our heart, and I'm going to say our will, okay? At some point when we're being enticed, our will, our desire takes over, and we will to do this thing, to give into the desire. 
That's what the conception is. <laughs> and, and, and so we play, you know, we play with ideas and thoughts in our heads. How many of you ever struggle with playing with sin in your mind? Come on, let's be honest. Yeah, I mean, am I going to do this thing? I know I shouldn't do this thing. So we play with it and kind of stick our toe in the water a little bit and mess around with it. And, and somewhere in that process, <laughs> our will takes over, and we do, in essence, we decide we're going to do it. And the seed is planted, and the picture here is, you could say we're pregnant then with this, this sin. That's the picture that we have. And then it says birth comes. <laughs> this is where we actually do the deed. And, and, and sin, that, the thing that's been conceived in us, it's born. But you know what? We lost the battle back in the conception process. That's where we really began to lose the battle. <laughs> the battle in our hearts and our minds and our will. That's a problem. And then it says growth. <laughs> so the sin, we do the sin, and once you've done the sin, doesn't it become easier to continue? in that sin, and that's the growth. <laughs> this evil, ugly thing, whatever it is that we struggle with, the things that we struggle with, it grows <laughs> to maturity and full grown, and that's not a good thing in this case. So I'm going to ask you to think one more time, because I had to do this as I was preparing this message. I said, Dave, look at yourself and determine what sins in my life, I've allowed to mature and become firmly rooted. Think about that for a moment. And I have them. There's things, you know, I have an acronym that I pray, and I won't tell you what it is because it's very personal because these are sins that I struggle with. Think about that for a moment. What have you allowed to grow roots in your life that's a sin that you continue to struggle with over and over and over again? that you're tempted by. Here's a hard thing. I wrote down in the next point, it talks about death. Sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. But I wrote death for God's people, question mark. Really? What does this, what's this talking about? Sin, fully grown, brings forth death. Well, we know from Scripture that the wages of sin is death, right? We've heard that, Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. And we know that after Adam sinned, God said, <laughs> what do you hear at a funeral? From the dust you came, and to the dust you shall return. So death came because of sin. We get those broad ideas. <laughs> so here's a question, though. So does giving in to temptation really lead to death, then, for a Christian? You know, the writer John, who wrote the Gospel of John and the letters, he makes a distinction between a sin that leads to death and a sin that does not lead to death but he doesn't tell us what they are. <laughs> he kind of leaves us hanging on that. 
But he makes it clear, and that's God's word, that there is a sin that leads to death. There are sins that lead to death, and there's sin that do not lead to death. I don't understand that, to be honest with you, but that's what God's word says. But I thought about it in the scriptures. I thought about Ananias and Sapphira, who lied to the Holy Spirit. Not only did they lie to people, but they lied to the Holy Spirit. And they tested, according to the scriptures, they tested the Spirit of God, and he took their lives. They were tempted to deceive. Paul said to the Corinthians, you know from the uh, uh, communion passage, very commonly we hear this, that taking communion the way that they were doing it without confession uh, within the body, there's something about confessing your sins to one another and to the Lord uh, and taking communion in a worthy fashion. And it, it warns us that for this reason, some of you are sick and even some of you have died. That's pretty serious. I think about the wilderness generation. The Israelite running around in the desert for those 40 years. Do you remember, what was, it, what was their failure? Somebody tell me what their failures were. They grumbled and complained, which led to, according to the scriptures, hardness of heart. Find that in Psalm 95. And eventually, they didn't get the rest that they'd been promised. They didn't get to go to the promised land. They died in the desert. So, scripture teaches that sin leads to death even for God's people. <laughs> I have to ask, is this only physical death or could it be spiritual death? I'm willing to leave that to the Lord. I always have those answers. But I want you to understand that the warning here is very, very serious that giving in to temptation is a serious danger to Christians that can lead to death, whatever that means. Come to the last point. We've got to determine the solutions and the significance here. First point under here is God's people are gullible. <laughs> uh, I thought about that, and I thought, well, they, people aren't going to appreciate it. But you know what? Uh, James says to us, do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. I think he's saying that because he recognizes that we can be easily deceived. So we are gullible in some ways as Christians. And I think we have to accept this. You know, I love uh, where Paul says that God chooses the foolish in the world to confound the wise. That's not really a compliment to us at all. But that's the humble approach that we as Christians need to understand. So <laughs> uh, I think it's prideful to think that it doesn't apply to me. I think I'm just as gullible 
as anybody else. And I think we as Christians need to recognize that. Do not be deceived, brothers and sisters in Christ. Moving on from that, God's good nature. <laughs> and this is where we started at the beginning of the message. God's good nature. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. God does not tempt us. No, rather he gives us good gifts to help us. He gives us solutions to the temptations. I think that's part of his good gifts, <laughs> if you will. And here I want to give you some practical and scriptural applications to help against this type of temptation that are from God's word. First of all, consider Jesus in the wilderness. He used only the same tools against temptation that are available to you and I. He was God. He could have done anything. You know, fully God and fully man. <laughs> it's funny. We were in, uh, it's not funny, but it was funny. We were in uh, uh, the Illinois Youth Center Thursday meeting with these young men, and there was a couple really rowdy ones in there, and we were talking about Jesus, and, and one of them said, yeah, he was half man and half God. And everybody was going, yeah. And then that, I said, whoa, whoa. He was fully man and fully God. That's an important distinction, isn't it? Because if he's not fully man, and he, then this whole temptation thing that I'm going to talk about is meaningless. But, uh, but he's fully God, and we have to understand that. If we can get it in our minds, it's difficult, isn't it? Fully God and fully man. So Jesus used the tools that are available to you and I. He prayed and fasted before he went into the wilderness. He knew he was going to be facing temptation. So you have situations in your life where you know you're going to face temptation. You think maybe we should pray and possibly even fast? before those situations? Jesus did. <laughs> He's fully God and fully man. So, uh, you know what else? Jesus relied on the Holy Spirit. You know, that's a, that's a deep thought for me. I, it's a hard one to get, you know. He's God, and, you know, but he relied on the Holy Spirit. It, it tells us that, that the Spirit guided him. And so, you and I, need to rely on the Holy Spirit. One, one in the morning, when we, we get down, we need to say, you know, Father, I can't do these things today. I need your guidance. I need your Holy Spirit to lead me and help me through this day and help me with these temptations. <laughs> and you know what else he did besides that? <laughs> he used the scriptures accurately to defeat temptation. Satan used them for his own benefit, but Jesus used the scriptures in an accurate way to defeat temptation. So we need to pray and fast, rely on the Holy Spirit, and we need to know those scriptures. Have any of you ever quoted scripture in the face of temptation? I hope so. I know one of my favorite things is, get thee behind me, Satan, because I can... You know, sometimes I want to blame it on Satan. It's probably coming from me, but I, I use those kinds of terms. So these are practical things with temptation. 
And you know what else Jesus taught? This is radical. Jesus taught that sometimes we need to take drastic measures to defeat temptation. Here's what he said. If your hand or your foot or your eyes cause you to sin, what did he say? Cut them off. Get rid of them. Cut it out. Whew. Was he serious about that? <laughs> he said it'd be better to enter heaven crippled than to be thrown into eternal fire. I don't think he meant literally. I think what he was saying is, <laughs> you know, this is serious stuff. We all have triggers. We do. There are triggers that we know will cause us to stumble and to fall. And we need to get rid of those. I know so many young men, and some of them pastors, who struggle with pornography. And I say to them finally, as it's coming close to ruining their personal life, their family, their position in the church, their relationship with the Lord, I say to them, wouldn't you just want to take that computer out and beat it to death with a, with a sledgehammer and get rid of your smartphone? Oh, well, we can't do that, man. And I think, well, yeah, I get that everybody needs a computer and a smartphone in this world that we live in, but you're talking about eternity and your family and your job. It's a drastic thing. And I tell parents sometimes, they come to me and say, Dave, my son is getting into drugs and he's doing this and he's doing that. And I say, you need to do something drastic. And I say, have you thought about sending them to be with their grandfather on the farm instead of, oh, well, we couldn't do that. He wouldn't like that. And I go, what? He's going to maybe go to prison or get shot or killed? I think Jesus is saying, be willing to do the drastic thing because of temptation. I really believe that. Get rid of those triggers. You know what Paul taught? He taught that we should flee from temptation <laughs> and run towards righteousness and godliness and faith and love and steadfastness and gentleness. Well, those lists are hard for me. You know, I can't remember all those words. But I do remember turn around and run the other way. Flee. Flee from temptation. I know Christians that think they're really strong. Yeah, no big deal. I'll go into this situation. That's the scriptures say, go the other way. Flee from temptation. Don't think you're so strong that you can fight it off by yourself. Very practical thing. Paul taught married couples <laughs> to take care of one another's needs and desires so they would keep them from temptation. There's a very practical thing in God's word for married couples. <laughs> There's a lot of advice in God's word about temptation. Paul taught that rather than presenting our bodies as instruments for unrighteousness, in other words, obeying our passions and our evil desires, we're to present ourselves and our bodies to God. Here's a prayer for us in the morning. God, here's my eyes, here's my ears, here's my mouth, here's my feet, here's my hands. We teach our children to pray that way, but we don't think about it for ourselves so that we can avoid temptation. Maybe we need to give our bodies to the Lord daily. 
How about Daniel? <laughs> Daniel taught us to beware the trappings of our environment, our surroundings. Remember what happened to Daniel? What, which empire did he go to? The Babylonian Empire, right? That was a nasty, evil empire. And when he got there, they said, some of the finest young men that we've captured, you're gonna, we're going to put you into the palace, we're going to feed you the richest food, we're going to give you clothes, we're going to give you everything you want. So for a young man, it's like, I'd be thinking, whoa, this is cool. But Daniel, I love what Daniel said. He resolved not to defile himself. So sometimes you and I go into situations where the environment, the trappings of that environment are, are tempting, are worldly. Tom, I don't know what it's like where you, build, where you paint, but that's Channel 7, is it? And I think of that, and I think, well, Tom's kind of in this, you know, I mean, that's, do you see uh, movie stars and weathermen and, and, you know, people that are living in that world and that lifestyle? And I, and I think, you know, we, we go into different trappings. Sometimes I go into places where it's like, oh, my goodness, you know, people actually live this way and do these things. Well, Daniel resolved that he would not be defiled, that he would stay holy. So... <laughs> When you're invited to these things, to these, to these places, watch out. Resolve to be holy before you go. Last one. There's probably way more in the Bible, but I, you know, I didn't have time. Job's wife, we heard this last week, I think, told him to curse God and die after all the things that God allowed to happen to him. And you know what? Job refused to listen to that temptation. And God blessed him. And God taught him. So I wanted to say to the men, I did not just say to you, don't listen to your wife. That's not what I said, okay? <laughs> she was tempting him to do something that was wrong. Be careful who you listen to. Be careful to watch for people that would tempt you. Last point, God's greatest gift. The last part of the text this, for this morning says, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. You know what that is? That's, that's the greatest gift. That's the gospel. That's the gospel right there. That's what he's talking about. He called us out according to the word, and he made us the first fruits of all of his creatures, his people. <laughs> That's the gift. He's the father of lights who gives nothing but good gifts. That's the gift of Jesus Christ. So the gospel, you know, and I, I know everyone here, knows the gospel and heard, has heard the gospel, but I would be remiss if I didn't remind you what the gospel is. Jesus Christ lived a perfect life. Holy man, fully God. Jesus Christ sacrificed himself willingly 
on the cross in obedience to his Father. He became sin for us on the cross. We are sin, he is not, but he became sin for us on the cross. Three days after he died, he rose from the dead in victory over sin and death. And here comes the part, you know, we don't get past that very often, but here comes the part I want us to really hear this morning. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. (laughs) And I think this gift, him seated at the right hand of the Father, has everything to do with helping us with temptation. And I'm going to tell you why. Romans 8.34 says, and it's talking about Jesus, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Somebody tell me what that means, interceding for us. Anybody? Say that again. Praying. Talking to God on our behalf. Mediating. Isn't that an amazing picture when you think about it? (laughs) Here's here's how I see it. When I've fallen into temptation, I'm really, when I want to get right with the Lord, I'm really encouraged by the picture of Jesus sitting at the right hand of the most holy God. Can you picture that? First of all, you can't picture God. He's a spirit. But I can begin to kind of conceptualize Jesus sitting at his right hand. And when I think of Jesus sitting at the right hand of God, uh, he's, he's in flesh. He's fully man, he's fully God. And Jesus has scars. He's got scars on his hands. He's got scars on his feet, scars on his back, scars around his head. And he's seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding for you and I. And you know what? He's reminding the Father. Uh, We don't have time to go to Zechariah 3, but I challenge you to go to Zechariah 3 sometime. There's a prophetic picture of this scene in heaven. (laughs) And and it's beautiful. And, And in this scene, Jesus is reminding the Father that he's taken our iniquity away and clothed us in pure garments. He's saying, you know... To the Father, oh, that Dave, he's mine. He's clothed in, in righteous clothes. And, and, and I think about that. And, and you know that I love Hebrews. <laughs> and Hebrews 4 is where this picture really comes to fruition, where it says we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, <laughs> but was tempted one who in every respect has been tempted as we are. That's an amazing thing, that Jesus faced every temptation that we face. That comforts me. It really does, because he understands. I've probably told you this before, but I was standing in a prison one day and and speaking this, and it kind of came into my mind, now wait a minute, He, he was tempted just like we are, 
but he never sinned, so he doesn't understand my guilt or my shame. And then all of a sudden, not all of a sudden, it actually took a while, but God revealed it to me. Well, no, no, Dave, don't, you misunderstand the cross. Because when he was on the cross, he carried my sin, my guilt, my shame, and my pain. He experienced every temptation that we have. And then he says at the end of that passage that we should go boldly, boldly to the throne of God. <laughs> what a picture, what a help in temptation. <laughs> Let us then with confidence, that word means faith, draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in times of need. Let's bow our heads, shall we? Father, temptation is real. We're the source of it in many ways. Father, we struggle with it all the way through life. And yet you, Lord Jesus, experience those things. You give us grace and mercy when we ask for forgiveness. You mediate to the Father for us. Father, help us to run away from temptation. Help us to use the means that you've shown us are available um, so that we can walk in truth and holiness as your people. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's stand and respond in song.